Um, we are in uh, Mark 9 today, and uh, we are looking at the Transfiguration. And so the Transfiguration is a bit of a random story. I don't know about you, whether you ever read the Bible and you start reading a story and you think, what on earth is this story about? This is just weird. Um, or you read some sort of stories in the Bible and you go, why is, why is that even there? Um, like, why has it been put where it is within the kind of the greater narrative of, of whatever book you're reading? I, I do that a lot. Um, and actually, we need to remember that the, the, the Bible writers put the stories they put in to the, 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 the books that we read for a reason. Each story has, each narrative has a reason behind it. And the transfiguration is no different from that. Um, and so let's just read this together, shall we? We're going to read Mark 9, verses 2 through to the end of verse 9. So it starts like this. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there, were, there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we're here. Let's make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. But he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. And the voice said this, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus alone. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So you've got this kind of really, kind of bit of bizarre story in the mix of everything. Yeah, okay, we've seen Jesus raise people from the dead and heal people. I mean, those stories in our kind of secular Western culture are bizarre in of themselves. But here's kind of one that tops it all off. Jesus and his disciples go up a mountain and Jesus changes like changes before their very eyes. And there's a few comments in here that are interesting. For example, his, his clothes go so white that no uh, bleach on earth could, could bleach them. You can't get Purcell or Daz or whatever that would be bright enough to bleach Jesus' clothes the colour that they were, writes, the, writes Mark. And then you've got this kind of aside about Peter, suggesting that they should build tents for them to, to live in. It's a kind of an odd story. And you sort of say, why is this story here? Well, look, there's lots of reasons why this story is here, and that's what we're going to look at today. Um, and actually, when you look at the Transfiguration, what you find is that there are parallels and contrasts between the story of the Transfiguration and other stories in Scripture. And I'm just going to look at three different parallels with you now, and I've got some tables to show you. I'm not going to go through the tables in detail, don't worry, uh, but I do want to kind of just talk a little bit about them. So first of all, the first parallel is between the Transfiguration and Exodus, so, for example, in our story on the Transfiguration, it's Jesus and three disciples that go with, uh, with Jesus up the mountain. And in Exodus, we see three named people go up a mountain with Moses. They uh, encounter God after six days of waiting. Jesus is transformed, we see in our text, and Moses is transformed. The disciples are terrified at Jesus' transformation and when Moses comes down off of uh, Sinai, actually, the Israelites are, are terrified at Moses' physical change. There's a lot of different parallels here between, uh, between these two different stories. So why is that? Why are these uh, parallels here? Um, first of all, actually, we need to think about a little bit about Jewish tradition. The, the, the first thing to consider is that actually Jewish tradition would indicate that, um, that Moses was enthroned as the leader of Israel at this moment as he uh, went up Mount Sinai. Mark 9, therefore, is acting as Jesus' own enthronement. 
We're seeing him here as being proclaimed as king. In the moment after Peter's open declaration of Jesus Christ as the Messiah, now we see God himself declare, here is my son, listen to him. So we've, we've just seen Peter in the last chapter say, you're, you're, you're the Messiah. And here we see God declare that Jesus is his son. There's therefore then the passing of divine authority happening here. So you have the, 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 the parallel between the, the Moses story, Moses ascends the mountain, is effectively kind of enthroned as the leader of the Israelites, and here Jesus is being enthroned as king. There's also something else I think that's quite significant about these two parallels and why they're here. If you actually read the story in Exodus and read what happens, what you'll find is, is that actually Moses is receiving instructions about building the ark, the dwelling place of God. And he's receiving instructions about sacrifice, about how men and mankind and humans can have relationship with God, how, the, how they can actually enter into a relationship with him. And it's through animal sacrifice. And yet, actually, now in the New Testament, here in the Gospels, we see Jesus. We see Jesus here in the Gospels. God with us, God dwelling with us. No longer is God dwelling in an ark. Jesus is here physically. And actually, Jesus has come to be a sacrifice himself for the sin of the people. It's no mistake, therefore, then, that this story has huge parallels with that Old Testament story. There's a second parallel. There's a second uh, contrast, actually, to another story. And we now need to go forwards in the New Testament to another account. And it's the account of Jesus' crucifixion that is just going to happen a few uh, short weeks after the transfiguration. So what are the parallels here between these two stories? Well, look, at the transfiguration, Jesus is enthroned as the king, as I've just said. But in the crucifixion, we see Jesus mocked as king of the Jews. At the transfiguration, Jesus is, uh, a sh- there's a shared private moment of honour as Jesus is honoured by God himself as his son. Yet as he dies on the cross, he is made a public spectacle of shame. At the cross, it's very different from Jesus conversing with Elijah and Moses as Jesus converses with the two thieves hanging next to him. Jesus' garments shine as he's transfigured, yet at the cross, his garments are taken away and lots are cast for them. God hails his son at the transfiguration, yet at the crucifixion, it's the Roman soldier that proclaims him as the son of God. These contrasts are there for a reason. Because what we're seeing here is we're seeing this moment of glory before we see a moment of intense suffering from Jesus. What What we see is, is, is the, the, the transfiguration as is, is a moment of glory, a, a glimpse of glory before the events of the cross. We're starting to see something that's going to happen. And actually, as we therefore then read the rest of Mark, we need to hold this event in our minds as being key and significant. Jesus here is being proclaimed a king. It's a private mo- moment of, of, of honour and glory and the sense in which actually Jesus is being transformed into what he, what he really is, who he really is. The son of God witnessed in his full majesty is now about to walk through a period of time where he's subjected to public scorn and to shame. The transfiguration, therefore, is a foreshadowing of the cross to come, but also the glory afterwards. Because actually what we see in the transfiguration is a moment of glory. Then we get the moment of of public shame as Jesus is crucified, this moment of intense suffering. But then what do we get at the end? Jesus glorified again. You look at the accounts in in, 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 uh, in Acts or at the, end of, at the end of the gospel as Jesus is raised to life again, publicly glorified as the Son of God. So actually, 
transfiguration starts part of what I would define as a, a glory suffering glory sandwich. You get two slices of glory with a, 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 a filling of suffering in the middle of it. And it's there for us for a reason. We're there to see Jesus's uh, ministry here be kind of being walked through. We're seeing the, the glory moment before the suffering takes place. Why does he walk through all of this? Well, he walks through all of this so you and I can experience a transfiguration of our own. This is why this story is something here about what we're going to go through ourselves. The Greek for transfigured is metamorpho. And uh, that's where we get the word metamorphosis from. So if you know a caterpillar turns into a butterfly, it's described as a metamorphosis. Uh, there's a story uh, by a writer called Franz Kafka, and um, I used to make my art students read this, and it's a, a bizarre story about an office worker who turned into some sort of weird bug creature. He goes through this amazing transformation and change from something actually quite normal to something quite hideous. But we're being made into something glorious, says the New Testament. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3 this. He says, we, with, we all with unveiled faces behold the glory of God. And it's the same word again, the same Greek, metamorpho, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We're all being transformed, writes Paul in Corinthians. See, God's work, his saving work, is transformative in us. Paul writes that if we're in Christ, we are a new creation. If we're in Christ, we are a new creation. So in many ways, actually, Jesus' transfiguration, as here's a third image for you, Jesus' transfiguration is actually uh, very similar to our salvation. Let's just look at those things quickly. Jesus' transfiguration. Jesus' appearance is changed, but yet briefly. 2 Corinthians 5 talks about the fact that we are new creations. We have been made new. We have been transfigured, writes Paul. Jesus' transfiguration, the disciples get told to keep it a secret and not tell anybody. As Jesus' disciples, in, in Matthew 28, we are called to go and tell the world about what Jesus has done. Jesus' transfiguration, God declares, this is my son, listen to him. He gives him authority. 1 John 3 says that we are God's children, that we have been made God's children, that he has adopted us as his sons and daughters. Jesus handed divine authority at the transfiguration. And Romans 8, 17 says that we have been made heirs with Jesus. There's a lot of parallels here between the transfiguration and what happens with you and I as we are saved. So the, the good news of the gospel means that because Jesus came as king, he suffered, he died and rose again to glory, you and I can be transformed. We can be transformed. We can know new life. We can know adoption as God's sons and daughters. So where does that leave you today? Because I've just given you a lot of information very briefly. Well, firstly, I want to say this. As, as Western Christians, we can be too often like Peter at the transfiguration. See, Peter doesn't know what he's saying, says the text, because he's scared. Um, again, this is another example of Peter getting it slightly kind of wrong. But what he says is this. He says, let's make some tents. It's good that we're here. It's good that Elijah and Moses are here. Let's make some tents. You guys can have a nice time together. We'll all stay up this mountain. It's a great place to be. Peter wants to stay on the mountain. He wants to reside in the glory. We can be too like that as Christians. We can be caught up in chasing after an experience of glory rather than realise that we've been transformed for a reason. We're not called to stay on the mountain. You see, church isn't just about coming on a Sunday morning and enjoying God's presence. We're not called just to kind of turn up for a worship service online once a week. That's not what the Christian life is about. 
We're transformed to transform. We're called to something more. God's transformed us and is transforming us for a purpose. So, so what, what do we take away from this? Well, look, you're called, you're called to walk in your transformation. You have been made a son or a daughter of the King of Kings. And the Bible encourages you to walk in that, to walk in it. It's a new pattern for your life. You can walk in that transformation as a son or daughter of the King. John writes, beloved, we are God's children now, and we, what, we will, what we will be has not yet appeared, but when that, when, that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So you've been made a child of God now, but one day you are going to be made even more glorious. There's going to be a kind of like public announcement, a public declaration of what God's done internally in you. You are an heir with Christ, writes Paul in Romans. You have authority to take authority over situations in this life. I've said this stuff before. It's nothing new here. You are royalty. You are royalty. You need to hear that over your life and over your heart and not listen to the devil's lies over you that you are not worth it, you're not good enough, that you can continue living in sin and shame. You are an heir with Christ, a co-heir with him. You have been made royal. You can take authority over things in your life because you've been given that authority in Jesus. I say this all the time. This is nothing new. You've heard me speak before. I've said these things before. I heard this recently. I love this. Repetition builds formation. So I'm going to keep repeating stuff like this because there's something that needs to form in your heart. You need to realise that actually God's called you to take authority. God's called you to a royal lifestyle as his son or his daughter. He's called you to walk through this life and have it in all its fullest. Jesus says in John 10.10, I have come that they may have life and life in all its fullness. You have been called to life in all its fullness, which means taking authority over things around you. It means that you're not going to be prepared to walk in the way you used to walk, which means that actually you'll turn your back on sin and say yes to Jesus. It means that you won't part with nonsense from the devil and the lies he speaks over you and the, and the things that he says to you to discourage you. And you're going to say to them, no, I'm not going to believe that anymore because I am a son or a daughter of God. We are royalty. We're called to walk in the transformation that has happened internally, knowing that one day we will be transformed externally. The, the Bible, so the, the, also this comes out of this as well. Actually, there's an encouragement for us to keep being transformed. By God's grace, you've been transformed, as I've just said already. Romans 12 verse 1 says that we're called and to be committed to daily transformation. Paul writes, be renewed, keep, keep trans, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's the same word again, metamorpho. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is not something that you just wait around for God to do in your life. You take authority. So actually, for, for each of us, I think sometimes we want God to do all the work for us. You know, so for example, maybe you're caught in a sin or a habit or a lifestyle, and you keep going to God and say, God, would you free me from this sin or habit or lifestyle? But you don't change. You're waiting for God to do something. Actually, what Paul writes in Romans 12 is that we need to be active. We need to be an active partner in the transformation. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. It's not a passive thing. We need to actually put, put things in place to change. We're called to keep transforming. We're called to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. Paul writes to Titus, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lifestyles in this present age. So the grace of God comes that we might be saved. And in grace, we can step out in grace-driven effort and pursue godliness. 
We can say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and yes to Jesus. We can say no to ungodliness and live self-controlled lifestyles. That's something that we have to do. We can't just wait around for it to happen. There's a phrase which is let go and let God, which is not that helpful really, because actually God's calling us to grow up, be mature and actually take responsibility for our own lifestyles, for the way that we think and what we say and what we do. We're not just waiting around for God to change us. Yes, God does change us, but he changes us as we walk alongside him, as we follow him. John writes that phrase that one day we are going to be changed and we will be like him and we will see him as he is, as I've said earlier on. But we're called to keep transforming now. Um, there's that, I, I keep reminding, remind, as I was saying this, I'm reminded of the, the Transformers. Uh, you know Transformers, the, the kind of the cartoon in the films. I used to love that as a kid. Um, and the, the main phrase in that is uh, Autobots roll out. And, uh, and, and Optimus Prime says, Autobots roll out in an American accent. I'm not going to do it. Actually, there's, there's an encouragement for us to take action, to step out in action. You know, the Autobots are called to go and do. We're called to go and do. As we've been transformed, we're called to take action over our own lives and the world around us. Because my last point is this. Look, transformed people transform the culture around them. Transformed people transform culture. As those who have been transformed, we're called to go and make disciples of all nations, says Jesus. We're called to be transformers, not in the robot sense of the word. We're called to show love and hope and grace to people. We're called to show them Jesus. Transformed people transform culture. We're called to be kingdom carriers. I say that a lot as well. Demonstrating what the kingdom of God looks like, not just through the words we speak or the, the actions, the things we do for people, but by expecting that as we step out into the daily life around us, that God is going to move through us. That we're going to be able to not just speak words of love over people, but pray for people. That we're not going to be only able to demonstrate the kingdom through words, but with power and signs following. We're called to go and transform culture around us. So the transfiguration, why is it there? Well, look, the transfiguration marks a key moment in the gospel story. As Jesus is declared king, as we see him enthroned in a private moment, it gives us hope as we go through the crucifixion story that we know that Jesus is going to triumph over it. It gives us hope that actually that we know that what God uh, has planned to do he will do but it also gives us hope as well. We see in the transfiguration story an an image almost a metaphor for what God does in us. He transforms us that as we walk through this life and the suffering that this life entails we know that we are being made more like Jesus, that we are being transformed into his image and that One day, just as Jesus rose again to life, you and I will rise again to glory in him. So here's some challenges for you as I finish today. Are you walking in that identity I spoke? Are you taking uh, authority over your life? Are you trying to stay on the mountain, maybe, and just come to church on a Sunday and assume that that's what the Christian life's about? Or are you walking out into the week knowing who you are in Jesus? Are you living with a sense of hope? Because as we walk through life and we encounter suffering, we can lose hope. But actually, we're called to not lose hope. We're called to have hope in Jesus. We know that Jesus rose again from death. We know that as we walk through this life, we can walk with hope, knowing that one day we too will rise. Are you living in the hope of the resurrection? And lastly, are you living and following in the way of the cross? You see, the the transfiguration points us to the cross. Jesus is glorified privately. 
yet then he suffers publicly. We're called to walk through this life as those who have been transformed. We're called to walk in the way of the cross, as I said last week. Are you walking in that way? Are you dying to self and walking in obedience to God's? Are you saying, no, I've got authority in my life. I'm going to walk with that authority and in obedience to God's. So there's my thoughts for you today. I'm going to invite the band back up as we worship to finish. Can I just encourage you this week that out of all the things I've said, that you actually remind yourself daily of who you are in Jesus. You remind yourself of the fact that you have been transformed for a reason and that you need to keep being committed to transformation in your life. Let's just pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that in this amazing story, we see you glorified privately. And Lord, that gives us hope, knowing that Jesus, as we read through the rest of Mark and we see you going to the cross, Lord, we know that we have that hope that you're going to rise again in the story. But Lord, I thank you that it gives us hope today as well. Lord, just as you had that moment of, 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 of glory privately, Lord, for each of us who are saved, we've experienced the saving transformation of your work of grace in our lives. And as we walk through our Christian lives, we may well experience suffering and rejection as we, as we look to follow you. But Lord, I thank you that we have a future glory that far outweighs anything that we may face in this life. And so Jesus, I pray this morning, Lord God, for people as they're watching this, Lord, I pray that you'd help them to take authority over the things in their lives. But also, Lord, I pray you'd help them to grow closer to you, that they would be committed to being transformed into your likeness. Amen.